Well, good morning, everybody. Whoa. Glad that you guys are here and welcome to church this morning. Just glad that you have uh, chosen to join us. There are weeks at Christ the King that are just filled with joy and hope, and then there's weeks that are filled with tears and sadness. And we've had a week of tears and sadness around here. Uh, last Sunday afternoon, um, uh, responded to one of our church families who had a little five-month-old uh, succumb to SIDS, which is a, a difficult thing at any time. And uh, his funeral, little Justice's funeral was on Friday. And then on Friday evening, uh, a longtime staff member of ours, Tom Starbuck, uh, got his graduation papers and went home to be with Jesus. Uh, Tom has, uh, was our f uh, facility manager here for over 11 years. His wife, Denny, has been one of our pastors for 20 plus years. And they have been an incredible part of our church and will continue to be. And now we have an opportunity as a church family to surround them in their grief. And uh, so we want to just take a moment today and commit these two families to the Lord and ask the Lord to, to help us to be their spiritual family right now. So would you join me as we pray together? God, we pray for the Walker family in the loss of little justice, and we struggle with the question of why, but I thank you in those moments we are reminded, God, that, that uh, you know exactly what it feels like to lose a son, and so we attach our hearts to yours and simply say, God, would you help us grieve, and we're thankful that we, that we don't grieve as those with no hope. Lord, for, for Denny today, we pray your grace and peace over her life and over the life of, of Tom's children. God, may they feel your intimacy and, 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 and nearness today. God, we thank you for taking Tom home. Lord, he has struggled and fought a valiant fight. And now to know that he has heard the words, well done, good and faithful servant. That touches us deeply. So Lord, we commit these two families into your care, knowing that there's no safer place we could place them than in the palm of your hand. So Lord, would you cover them and give them great hope and great peace. That would be a miracle today. And we would be so grateful. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Tom's memorial service will be Wednesday at 1, and if you'd like to come and join us, you're certainly welcome to do that. It's open uh, to the entire church, and I know Denny um, and the kids would certainly appreciate uh, our support during this time. So we're going to make a hard left-hand turn, and I would tell you to open in your Bibles to a certain passage, but we're going to be in about 17 locations in your scripture today, so uh, do your best to just keep up. If you could also do me a big favor, I don't say this very often, but over the last two weeks, I've lost multiple services during the sermon uh, to babies and cell phones. Um, last night, a bagpipe ringtone went off, and, um, and I love being accompanied by my Scottish brothers and sisters, but... Um, that just makes it really uh, difficult. So if you could silence your cell phone, I would really appreciate that. And, uh, and if you have a small child with you, at the first indication of noise, um, I know you think everything that your kid or grandkid does is the most beautiful expression of God's love. But the rest of the world thinks it's annoying. So I'm just going to say... <laughs> 
that we have beautiful environments for your children, and you should put them there so that we can uh, all track together, uh, eyes on the preacher, that's what we're looking for, and so if you could help me out as a parent, I would be so unbelievably grateful, Um, because the bottom line is, I just can't compete with your kid and win. It's just not possible, so um, thank you. Was Was that gentle enough? I hope so. Anyway, I'm just saying, okay. So we're starting a brand new little mini-series this week. Uh, We're going to do it for the next couple of weeks before we launch into Christmas. I can't believe it's Thanksgiving and Christmas already. Uh, But you'll notice up here that we've got this little tagline. It's called blessed. And and, and the word less is actually highlighted because we want to understand that that during this season, we'd love for you to stress less and experience more. And normally, I don't talk very much about the holidays on the front end, but I was just really convicted this year that I think we need to figure out how to do this season different. Because I spend a lot of time with people who actually dread the holiday season. And I'm like, I don't quite understand that. So what if we could get proactive and just set our minds in a different direction and put Jesus in the middle of it before we even get there? So I simply Googled the words, less is more. That's what I typed into my computer, less is more. And I got more words and responses than I wanted. Page after page after page flooded my computer. And I learned something. Pretty much, most of the population agrees with a common phrase, less is more. Okay? I found articles agreeing with less is more on quantum physics, mathematics, biomechanics, education, art, philosophy, mental health practitioners, communication specialists, debt consolidation experts, organic chemists, medical journals, theoretical physicists, closet organizers, geological plate tectonic experts, mechanics teachers, military experts, and the list went on and on and on. And I was just struck with the fact that in a world that is just rife with disagreement, most people agreed with the statement Less is more. The only people I could find that had a contrary opinion to less is more and believed that more is more were bankers and retailers. They were the only two people that I could find going that direction. So we're going to focus in on that little truth, less is more. As we begin the series, I want to make a confession, okay? I believe, I have a conviction that less is more. I am a minimalist. If you come into my office, you will understand. There's just not much in there. I like a world with less. Less clutter, less noise, less stress, less stuff, less people, and less words, which means I want more space, more quiet, more calm, more room, more alone time, and more silence. That's how my brain works. That's my first confession. I'm a minimalist. Second confession, I am a reformed Christmas Grinch. Just saying it, okay? Didn't like Christmas for years. Part of it's because my birthday is on December the 25th. This year, on December the 25th, I turn 50, which means I will be in full-on meltdown. So if you'd like to join my group therapy session on Christmas morning, come to my house. That would be awesome, okay? So, all right, so I, I, I stress during Christmas, but I have changed. Why was I so stressed? Because during the holiday season, there's too much clutter, noise, stress, stuff, people, and words. Drives me crazy. So God sat in heaven, knew how he created me, and then thought to himself, this ought to be fun. I'm going to marry him. I'm going to marry him to the biggest Christmas elf on the face of the planet. My wife is a living, breathing, walking holiday extravaganza. I mean, everything in my world is about these holidays. For years, I tried to steal her joy just to dial her back, and I lost, okay? She, she won completely. So I am not ashamed to tell you, 
My house is already completely decorated for Christmas, okay? On Thanksgiving Day, we eat turkey with twinkly lights in the background. That's how it works. I have already watched three Hallmark movies, okay? Three of them. We're on our second batch of sugar cookies, and if you don't like it, I don't care, Mr. Grinch. It doesn't matter to me, all right? So, how does that shift happen? How do you change a confirmed minimalist Christmas Grinch and holiday downer into somebody who actually anticipates the holiday with great joy? I have a simple answer for you. Less is more. Less is more. So with Thanksgiving just around the corner, I'm already hearing this question. I heard it in the comments four times already this morning. What are you doing for the holidays? What are you doing for the holidays? And I'd like to pose a different strategic question to the people of Christ the King who call Jesus your Lord and Savior. What are you not doing for the holidays this year? What are you not doing? Just stop. Just think for a second. Take a deep breath. If you could do something less that actually brought about more joy, more hope, and more peace, would you do it? If it was in divine elimination that we actually found more freedom, would you be willing to go there? As I look back over the years, I realize that the scriptures have actually taken so much off my shoulders, and it's made the holidays so much richer. So I'm going to share with you some of the steps that I've taken to shred the old Grinch skin and put on a, deep, a, a, a deeper understanding of what real hope and peace and thanksgiving and joy and gratitude actually looks like. Are you ready? Here we go. This holiday season, I'm going to choose. I'm going to choose less debt. Less debt. And I'm going to do that through more strategic spending. And you might be surprised, but the Bible actually has a lot to say about this. Because here's what I know. Black Friday is coming. It's coming this week, and some of you have already put your credit card in the freezer because you know if you don't freeze it ahead of time, it will melt because of the friction of you just sliding that card. It's going to spontaneously combust, and I just want to encourage you, before you start digging that hole, now I actually would encourage you to go to Black Friday because um, that is the most target-rich environment that I ever find when it comes to sermon illustrations, okay? I follow the people of Christ the King around in stores. And how you act, I preach about for the following couple of weeks. You know that to be true, right? I just love watching you with your Christmas twitch in the line at Macy's holding four waffle irons that you don't need. I, there's just something beautiful about that to me. Okay, so. But before you just start digging that financial hole, I would love for you to stop for just a second and consider the level of regret that you're going to experience in about 60 days if you're not responsible. Because usually I get to January and you hear me say this little poem. It was the day after Christmas and all through the house every creature was hurting, even the mouse. The toys were all broken, their batteries dead. Santa passed out with some ice on his head. Wrapping in ribbons just covered the floor while upstairs my family continued to snore. And I in my t-shirt, new Reebok and jeans, I went into the kitchen and started to clean. When out on the lawn there arose such a clatter, I sprang to the sink to see what was the matter. Away to the window, I flew like a flash, tore open the curtains and threw up the sash. When what to my wondering eyes should appear but a little white truck with an oversized mirror. The driver was smiling so lively and grand. The patch on his jacket said U.S. Postman. With a handful of bills, he grinned like a fox. Then quickly he stuffed them into my mailbox. 
bill after bill after bill, they still came. Whistling and shouting, he called them by name. Now Macy's, now Best Buy, now Costco and Sears. Here's Hollister, Target, I'm almost in tears. To the tip of your limit, every store, every mall. Now charge away, charge away, charge away all. And he whooped and he whistled as he finished his work. And he filled up the box and then turned with a jerk. And he sprang to his truck as he drove down the road, driving much faster with just half a load. Then I heard him exclaim with great holiday cheer, enjoy what you got, you'll be paying all year. <laughs> Listen to what the Bible has to say. Romans 13 verse 8, let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt of love to one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. It's a natural economic law. What you buy, you actually have to pay for. We, we know that, right? But we often over-anticipate our ability to be able to absorb these huge amounts of debt. So I want to encourage you, according to Scripture, start with reality, budget accordingly, and be disciplined. Say it to yourself, this is what I have. I'm going to stay within my means because that actually glorifies God. The Bible says, Proverbs 21, the plans of the diligent lead to profit as sure as haste leads to poverty. So don't be hasty in the coming weeks or you're going to deal with deep financial regret come January. So let's be responsible. Secondly, this holiday season, I'm going to choose less stress. I'm just going to choose less stress and I'm going to do that through more strategic simplicity. This year again, my family and I, we're going to focus on keeping it simple. We're going to keep it about loving Jesus and loving others to Jesus because I've found Thanksgiving and Christmas are better when you keep that in the center. We're going to keep our eye on the eternal nature of Thanksgiving and Christmas because if you take Jesus out of Thanksgiving and Jesus out of Christmas, you don't have much left. We make life so complex and yet God keeps begging us, please just keep this simple. In fact, I went looking for a specific passage of scripture that tells me my, my quote-unquote Christian to-do list, and all I could find was Micah chapter 6, verse 8. He has shown you, O mortal, that would be all of us, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God? By the way, that's the job description for us for all year long. But to just do justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with our God. I can't find anything in there about overbooking, overstuffing, overcommitting, overspending, or overpromising. Can you? Nothing. We're just supposed to act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly. That's simple. Here's a great verse for the holiday overachievers in the room. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. That's what your Bible says. Lead a quiet life. You should mind your own business. <laughs> Let me say that again. You should mind your own business and work with your hands, just as we told you. That is unbelievable instruction for us in a world that's just so chaotic and frenetic. I mean, just lead a quiet life, mind your own business, and work with your hands. Maybe this year you don't need to buy everything. Maybe you could actually make something out of an expression of your heart that would carry something with you forever. When I go to scenes where someone has passed away, I've never yet 
walked in and watched a family admire a remote control and go, this was just the most beautiful expression of dad. I've never seen that. You know what they're holding on to? Handwritten letters, notes and Bibles. That's a clue about what really actually matters in life. This holiday season, I'm going to choose less noise. And I'm going to do that through more strategic silence and solitude. Around the holidays, I like to go on something called a word fast. I try to talk about half as much as I normally do. Try to talk less and listen more. You know why? Because Proverbs 10.19 says this, Sin is not ended by multiplying words, but the prudent hold their tongue. The prudent hold their tongue. And that includes what you say and what you type. I mean, I just got a question for you. Does anybody else live in a world right now that needs more words and opinions? <laughs> I don't think so. Mine doesn't. And sometimes saying less actually makes more sense. Right now, if you start screaming with everybody else that's screaming, can I just tell you something? Nobody can hear you. You're just another one of the voices shouting at the top of their lungs. And yet there's something unbelievably biblical about saying something less. Because I've noticed this. When quiet people talk, everybody just takes a step back and listens to what they have to say. So maybe in each of our days, as we head towards Thanksgiving and Christmas, maybe we need to actually plan a moment of silence. And that is so hard because the, word keeps, the world keeps saying, just keep shouting and yelling and typing in all caps. That's what it says. The Bible has a very different message. Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 20. The Lord is in his holy temple. I don't care what side of the quote-unquote election you were on. You need to remember that. The Lord is in his holy temple. He did not abdicate his throne several weeks ago. Can I get an amen from somebody? Still completely in charge. The Lord is in his holy temple. And then this is what it actually says. Let all the earth be silent before him. I've got so much to say. But people need to know my opinion. Silence, reverence, awe, quiet. Why would we do that? Can I tell you why? Because this Christmas, if you actually want to hear Messiah whisper, you're going to need to get quiet enough to hear that because God's not going to scream at us. Can we try that for a second? I know this is really, really hard, because as soon as I say we're going to be quiet for a few minutes, your, your throat starts to tickle. I know how that works, okay? And then one person coughs, and then pretty soon there's 27 people. It's just the way that it goes. And now that I've planted that thought in your mind, it's not going to be able to go away, because you're going to be all thinking about it. But could we take just a moment and quietly just think for a second? Could we just stop and reflect? The people sitting in front of me are in the top 4% of the richest people on the face of the planet. If you ate a meal already today and slept undercover last night, it puts you in the top 4%. We don't think that way though, do we? But could we just stop and practice for Thanksgiving? I'm gonna give you about 30 seconds or so. Could you just allow your mind to walk into the throne room where Jesus sits? And could you take a knee in front of the King of Kings 
and thank him for just one or two aspects of your life. We're just not very good at this because we're just too fast-paced. So let's just observe a moment of silence, and that's what I want you to do. Walk into the throne room of God and just whisper a thank you. Let's do that together. Father God, thank you for a church that's wise enough to be quiet. I thank you for friendship and hope. I thank you that peace comes from Jesus. I thank you that you are in control. And I thank you that we can bring every prayer and petition before you today. So God, as we've stopped for just a moment, may that inspire us stop more. I pray these things in your name. Amen. I added something to, to that little piece. I said it was not only silence, but also solitude. I want you to know what that is. Solitude is an intentional quieting of your heart, your mind, and your soul so that Jesus can speak to you in an uninterrupted way. I experience solitude when I go for a run because I don't listen to music I just go out and I, and I run on lonely country roads because I've learned something about Jesus. He keeps about an eight and a half minute mile pace. I'm not sure why, but that's what he does. And he falls right in step beside me and we have our best conversations, usually about mile three. When I turn the corner on the Pangborn Road, he just seems to show up and we talk about stuff. The good stuff, the hard stuff, and everything in between. Solitude is not isolation, it's actually being alone for the sake of enjoying the company of Christ. And I think we could use a lot more of that. Let's keep going. This holiday season, I'm going to choose less chaos through a more strategic Sabbath. Through more strategic Sabbath. Christ the King was the first church that I've ever pastored where attendance goes down in December. Never experienced that before. I was always mystified. Why does attendance go down in December? December. I mean, it's the time we're coming to celebrate the incarnation of Jesus. And the only reason that I could come up with is that people just get really, really busy. And so they just completely ignore the biblical command to experience a Sabbath. And I know it's not because people are sick, because I would see them in the afternoon at Costco when we were all having lunch at the sample stands, right? <laughs> so I know it was just a decision that people were making. And yet we often find ourselves just dismissing Sabbath because, well, we're just too busy. I can't afford to take an hour and go and be quiet because I've got this huge list of things and expectations to get stuff done. My favorite group of theologians, the country music band Alabama, has put it this way. I'm in a hurry to get things done. I'm rushing, rushing, and life's no fun. All I really got to do is live and die. I'm in a hurry and don't know why. If you don't know what that is, it's country music, Alabama. You should Google it. Okay, so here's Holy Bible, God speaking. Exodus chapter 20, verse 8, if you've never heard this before, you should Google it. The Bible says, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. 
Six days you shall labor, do all of your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath day to the Lord your God. The root word for Sabbath literally means to savor, to taste it, to experience it. So I have a question. What good is Thanksgiving dinner if you can't taste it? Are you savoring the holiday season or is it just bland and tasteless because you're just too busy to taste it? God created the Sabbath as a gift. The Bible says this, Mark chapter 2, and he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. It's God's gift to you. You just have to choose to experience it. Most of us during the season choose to ignore it and then we wonder why we're so unbelievably fried. I want to remind you. The command for Sabbath is a command, not a polite suggestion. Let's keep moving on. This holiday season, I'm going to choose less hurry. Less hurry through a more strategic pace. For many of us, the holiday season is like a hamster wheel. We're running fast. We're going absolutely nowhere. What if you gave yourself divine permission to do less, not more? There's a modern psychological syndrome. It's called hurry sickness. Psychologists estimate that over 90% of Americans experience hurry sickness on a daily basis. Let's find out. Got some questions for you. Do you move from one checkout line to another because it looks shorter and faster and get frustrated when yours moves slower than all the other lines? Do you multitask to the point of forgetting one of the tasks? Do you often feel in a hurry to get things done? Do you walk fast? Do you tend to talk fast? Do you trip over your words because your mouth can't keep up with your brain? Do you get irritated or upset at other drivers or when stuck in traffic? Do you find it difficult to just sit or to daydream or to recall a memory? Does your spouse, your friends, or your colleagues ever tell you to take it easy or just slow down out of concern for your pace? Do you ever find yourself interrupting the person with whom you're talking because you just have so much to express? Do you ever forget to eat? By the way, they say, if you even said, I think so, to two of them, you're infected with hurry sickness. I love the last one. Do you forget to eat? I like it because it actually happened in the Bible. Mark chapter 6, verse 31. Jesus is being pounded with real legitimate needs. People are coming with actual need for healing. They're in a hurry to get stuff done. And this happens. It says, then because so many people were coming and going, they didn't even have a chance to eat. Apparently, disciples of Jesus fall prone to this on a regular basis. They just forget that your pace actually matters and they forget to actually intake food. And in the middle of that rush, Jesus interrupts them and says this, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. Can you imagine all of the objections in that moment? But Jesus, we got all these people lined up. Everybody needs something. Come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. And Jesus is just like, Hey, let's go to a quiet place and get a little rest because you're being infected with hurry sickness. So to all those of you who are already hurrying, Jesus would say this in Matthew 28, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me because I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your soul. God wants you to experience rest for your soul, not exhaustion this holiday season. Let's throw one more, and then we'll be done. 
This year I am choosing less getting. Getting is in G-E-T-T-I-N-G. Less getting, and I'm going to accomplish that through more strategic giving. Now, how in the world would I do that? The Apostle Paul tells me in Acts chapter 20, verse 35. And everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. We must help the weak. Remembering the words the Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Now, some of you would hear that and just go, I want to call time out on that one because I've actually got some things in my life and I like it. I like getting. I think it feels really, really cool. So I just did a small analysis this week, kind of just zipped through scripture as quickly as I possibly could. And I asked the question sincerely, is giving really better than getting? Because I think some of us would go, I appreciate the sentiment of that, but honestly, I kind of like the getting thing. Like, I really enjoy that. So is giving really better than getting? Well, let me give you a couple of reasons why I think it is. Number one, when you give, you obey God's command, and that pleases Him. All of God's commands are given to enhance our lives. So when God says give, He actually says, I want you to experience this because you're actually going to get more joy out of it. Secondly, giving submits to God's lordship. Okay? As Christians, we actually believe there's a higher authority in our life. And we believe that higher authority is worthy of honor and respect. But we've got this, this thing inside of us, our temperament, our personality, our circumstance. And that makes certain things that Jesus said really easy to do and others to be much more difficult. And I can only speak from personal experience. For most of us, money's one of those areas. Our wallet is often the last stronghold to fall to God's rule. And I can tell you, there have been times I've laid down my wallet in front of the, 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 in front of the cross of Christ, and when stuff doesn't work out for me, I grab it back and I rebuild around it and I resecure it to myself way too quickly. I wonder if our hearts would change if we realized that bringing everything under the rule and reign of Jesus is not a threat. In fact, I wonder if we would learn that that's the place of greatest safety. Because then nothing can hold on to our heart. Because my Bible says where your heart is, there your treasure will be also. Did you get that right? Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Thirdly, I think giving is better than getting because giving exhibits God's heart. I mean, God's the giver of every good and perfect gift. That's what scripture tells us, right? And as his image bearers, we're called to copy his giving. We're supposed to be little mini pictures of his infinitely large heart. And the larger we open our hearts and open our hands, the better picture we paint to our culture of the giving nature of who God is. I stood back there and listened to Wendy tell those stories. And I began to recognize most of them. And I hope you saw that as an unbelievable blessing to know that what you did last year touched people's hearts, changed their life. You got to be somebody else's miracle because you followed this biblical command. Why is giving better than getting? Because giving trusts God's provision. I mean, let's face it. The reason we don't normally give is because we're scared. We're scared that, that somehow God's, gonna, God's not going to look after me and mine. I wonder whether or not we could understand that this is one of those areas where God says, would you just trust me? 
Because every time you look after somebody else, God's heart swells and says, just watch me look after you. Because you're actually following my heart. Why is giving better than getting? It's because giving advances God's kingdom. Whether I want to or not, I've actually advanced the kingdom of Apple. I have an iPhone, got a MacBook Air, and whether I want to admit it or not, I have helped that company transition from from a small garage to, to a worldwide empire. And you know what's interesting? It doesn't bother me at all. I don't care if your Mac or PC doesn't make any difference to me at all, but I have absolutely no problem thinking that at some level I contributed to that empire. Do you think the same way about God's empire? Do you think in the same way about making eternal investments for the welfare of people of every nation, every tribe, every kindred, every tongue? I mean, do we really understand that our dollars can change homes and relationships and countries and even the eternal destiny of many souls? I met a young man last weekend who gave his heart to Jesus between the two services. You helped make that happen for him. Directly and indirectly. Do we view giving as better than getting? Let me just add one more here. I actually came up with like 17 reasons why giving is better than getting. I'm only going to give you six, okay? Here's the last one. Giving actually praises God's character. It's an act of right worship. It comes and says, everything I got came from you, and now I'm just going to give back a small portion because I want to always be reminded how incredible you have been to me and my family. King David saying these words. What shall I give to the Lord for all of his benefits to me? We have an opportunity to do that. You know why giving's better than getting? Because giving changes me. Changes my heart. It changes my perspective. It changes my love for people. So here we go as we wrap up today. The definition of insanity is doing exactly the same thing over and over, expecting different results. So my question is, are you going to be insane this Christmas and Thanksgiving and do what you've always done, or are you going to just make one or two significant shifts? I believe that less is more. So I'm actually going to make a holiday commitment today. The holiday commitment is the final blank in your outline. There's no way to fill it in because it's personal for you. So you need to grab a pencil right now and fill in something. And believe me, I'll promise you, if you don't write something down, you're probably going to get stuck in one of those beautiful words, be uh, beautiful places of good intentions, but nothing's going to change. I put it in your outline this way. Trusting that less is more this holiday season, I am not going to blank. I'm just not going to do it. I'm not going to fall victim to the same pattern over and over and over again. And I have no idea what you need to put in that blank. Maybe you need to, to give up expectations and say, God, just help me to live in the reality, knowing that you're there in the middle of it. Maybe there's a few things on your calendar that you just need to put a big red line through and say, it's just not going there. Because it doesn't bring help and hope into my life. It actually brings destruction and toxicity. So I'm just not going to do that. Maybe it's, it's to be so wrapped up in everything that you just miss Christmas. That you miss Thanksgiving. Got a challenge for you? Sometime on Thursday, 
I believe the holiday will be completely invalid if the people of God don't stop for at least a second and say, God, this is what I'm thankful for. I promise you on Thursday, I'm going to stop and I'm going to thank God for all of you. We've been doing this a long time. You have tolerated me longer than most human beings should have to. And I am so thankful every week to come and be able to open the word of God and say, this is what Jesus is talking to me about. I think we should all take a moment and simply be thankful. Because here's what's going to happen now. Uh, It's 1030. I'm done. In a moment, we're going to stand and pray. And then the most holy moment of the week is going to happen when the people of God leave a sacred assembly and actually go out into the world to change it. And my prayer is that this year, instead of thinking of all the things that you have to do, that instead you'll be convinced that God would actually be satisfied and glorified if you made the decision to actually do less. So church, would you stand with me this morning? And let's pray together. And thank you. There were no babies and no cell phones. I'm thankful. Thank you, Jesus. It's a miracle. Okay, so would you pray with me? God, thank you for this moment. And for my, uh, my church family. God, thank you for their love and patience. Thank you for the way that they love Jesus deeply. Thank you for their generosity and their help and their hope, especially in this season of life. God, thank you for deep abiding friendships inside of this room. Thank you for deep needs, God, because when we have deep needs, we become more intimately acquainted with a God who loves to meet those needs. God, this Thursday, I pray that we would all have a moment to stop where we push aside the pace, we embrace silence and solitude, and we simply stand in front of a God who wants us to communicate with Him. And we list off all of the ways with which we have been blessed. So God, I do. I pray for for less busyness, less chaos, less noise, less worry. Lord, I pray that our church this week would be distinguished by our trust in you and the calm in our heart because of the promise of Philippians chapter 4 that says that your presence will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. So God, we thank you for you. May our lives and our holidays be very different this year. And I pray these things in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, and in the name of the Holy Spirit. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.